My name is Keith. And you're listening to Your Favorite Canadian, a podcast about your favorite Canadian actor. Actor. And this week is uh, episode 11. We are now... I can't believe uh, we're on 11. I know, and we're over a year old now, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so considering we took like four months off, we're not doing too, too badly. I uh, agree. That's just like a summer break. Yeah, a really long summer. We took a winter hiatus. Yes, and we have uh, three of our panel with us today. Mark. Hello. And uh, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Matt. And uh, Dan. Hi, hi. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. Um, and uh, Heather and Melanie are, uh, I believe, on assignment. This on evening. assignment. Absolutely. On. Um, so we've done things a little differently this episode. We have launched over on our YouTube page, well, on uh, the Lions Den Audio Theater YouTube page, um, an opportunity to just listen to the pitches. Uh, so if you know somebody new and they want a little taste of what we do, but not the full gobble, um, they can head on over there. So our pitches for this episode are uh, pre-recorded. Um, so, and you should be able to find all three sets of pitches now uh, at Lions Den Audio Theater on YouTube. Is that correct? That is correct. And the full episodes are remaining on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, everywhere you consume your podcastery. Um, Beauty. Would anyone like results from the last episode? Very much so. Yes, please. Last episode, unfortunately, the Facebook poll that we've been using, the uh, the interface phone, and it was down for several days. So unfortunately, we had to go about it by counting comments. There were some shares and stuff like that, and I got some reports back from people that shared. Um, these are estimate numbers. Um, they are the correct winner um, because none of them were uber close. But these uh, result numbers are estimates based on what we got back from people. In our first it was Kim Cattrall versus Marie Dressler. Kim Cattrall was uh, represented by Nat, and uh, Christine represented Marie Dressler. Come and, on, Marie. <laughs> and the final count on that one was uh, 60% to 40%, and the winner on that one is Ms. Kim Cattrall. Matt. Oh, uh, nice. First of all, Kim Cattrall, uh, in my opinion, one of, the, one of the better parts of uh, one of my favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China. A seasoned Vulcan. Yeah. And just, I, I, I don't know how to, I, I can't really go off on tangents. It's difficult for me to speak sometimes about something like Samantha Jones as a character because I just want to start just talking about really all these things that interest me about it. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, surprised and delighted. Um, I, I, I'm not really 100% surprised. I think she has a really big following as one of these people who, well, I wasn't really 100% sure who she was at the beginning of this podcast yeah. and later came to who she was and realized I saw her in a lot of movies. It was, uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't really that surprised. She has a pretty big following. I actually just listened to Bill Burr um, in a, on this podcast rant about how underused she was in Sex in the City and how pissed off she was. he was that they never gave her another joke other than the fact that she likes sex. And it just like, <laughs> it pissed him off. It was so yeah. Yeah. Well, it worked for Blanche Devereaux for eight seasons. So. True <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, word. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I, I mean, as a as a wrestler fan myself, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. Control just hits too many boxes. And I mean, honestly, there are at least two generations of uh, film and TV watchers that, that are familiar with her, whereas most of Bresler's fans have been dead for 50 years, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's That's been... Fair. My a... it's all wrong then. See, like, and for me, like, I thought people thought of Kim Cattrall like they do William Shatner. I thought it was going to be a William Shatner thing. <laughs> well, ah. Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker certainly yeah. does. <laughs> uh, yeah? 
But yeah, no, so uh, Kim Cattrall moving on to the next round. Marie Dresler moving into the wild card pool. Our second poll from last week was uh, two funny men, two of Canada's uh, charming rogues. Phil Hartman against Seth Rogen. Now, Phil Hartman was repped by Dan, and Seth Rogen was repped by Melanie. Um, and that one was something of a, of a, of a minor landslide. Uh, 80 to 20, 80% went with Phil Hartman, 20% went with Seth, Ro- Seth Rogen. So yeah. Phil Hartman's going through. Hmm. What are you thinking of that, Dan? You know, I've always been a big fan of Phil Hartman. It, it always does kind of suck, though, when you're up against someone else that you like. I do like sure. Seth Rogen's movies. Um, and uh, I'm a pretty big fan, and I actually do plan on seeing that new weird movie, American Pickle, that he's in. It doesn't have your typical Hollywood career. He doesn't make your your typical films. That's why I like him. But um, you know, I'm a, I'll always be a diehard Phil Hartman fan, so I'm happy he went through. Matt, you were, I think, if I recall, you were fairly certain Phil Hartman was going to waltz away with this one. I I I didn't even think it was a thing. I, I, I thought it was almost just like a what's what's what, what's the word I'm looking for? A buy. It seems like everybody likes both of them. They just seem to like Phil a little bit more. Yeah, they're both kind of likable in a in a similar way, where they don't always do the obvious things. Yeah, like they do pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, I think Phil Hartman's a little deeper in the the collective hearts. And I think with this one, what was interesting, too, is that the uh, the demographics, there was no demographic data at all in this one. It was, you know, a 40-year-old man was as likely to vote for either one. A 30-year-old woman was likely to vote for either one based on one. Mm. And our final one was our three-person face-to-face-to-face or face-off-to-face-off. Um, we had Nathan Fillion, represented by Mark. Tommy Chong, represented by Dan. And Faye Ray, represented by me. And the winner with 60% is Tommy Chong. Yeah! And <laughs> second place is actually Faye Ray with 40%. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Nathan Fillion with 10 Wow, Nathan Fillion yeah. not getting as much love as I thought he would. No. Wow. But, wow. Those, but those, you know, what's that old, those who like them, like them a lot? Um, yeah. yeah. If it was based on passion, <laughs> this was Fillion's win. But uh, mm. unfortunately, it's, it's numbers, not passion. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cult following isn't the best thing when it comes to popular votes. No, nope, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that Tommy Chong smoked another one. So, Dan, <laughs> yeah. Dan, you went two for two on last week. I did. Well, at, after my losing streak at the start of this podcast, I'm pretty happy today. Cool. <laughs> I think I lost my first three battles. Yeah, no, that's you great. did well. Yeah. yeah. And w- one thing I do, I, I did find kind of weird uh, with the with the three way battle here is that all three of our candidates all came from Alberta. And yeah, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Accident. It was pretty, it's pretty neat. You know that they're they're all. From, I th- was Nathan Fillion also from Edmonton with Tommy Chong. <laughs> yeah. So now let's lead into our pitches. Our first uh, pre recorded pitch is uh, Christine against Dan, and Christine is representing the late great Maury Chaikin, and Dan is representing. The not late but still great Michael J. Fox. Take it away, Christine and Dan. Maury Chaikin, born in Brooklyn, New York in 1949 to an American father and Canadian mother, was a Canadian-American actor who, while certainly capable of playing leading roles, was, I think, best known as a character actor. 
He started out in theater and performed on stage largely in New York, uh, where he studied theater at the University at Buffalo, um, as well as in Toronto, a couple of notable stages there being Theatre Passe and Factory Theatre. Chaikin, however, found much of his success on screen. A couple of bigger roles earlier on in his career were computer programmer Jim Sting in 1983's War Games, and he took the witness stand as Sam Tipton in 1992's My Cousin Vinny. You might remember him as Major Fambro in Dances with Wolves, but it's interesting looking through his history because he has such a memorable face and presence, but his acting credits are peppered with these roles like Russian Agent, Fire Captain, Exotic Club Client, and Prison Warden. He's really the definition of a character actor, filling in supporting roles and I think really owning them. He doesn't necessarily play the exact same role every time, but he is able to pull off these sort of darkly comedic characters often. So in addition to movies, he also worked on a number of television series, usually appearing in one or two episodes. He played uh, two separate roles a year apart on Due South. He appears on Lex, Andromeda, White Coats, Stargate SG-1, CSI, Boston Legal, The Trailer Park Boys. He played Harvey Weingard, who's a recurring character on Entourage based on infamous producer Harvey Weinstein. Um, and his big lead television role was as Nero Wolf in A Nero Wolf Mystery, which aired in 2001-2002. He's won Genies and Geminis for his work on Canadian screens, a Clotrudis Award, which honors uh, outstanding achievement in independent cinema, a Canadian Comedy Award, and two Actra Awards, one of which was awarded uh, posthumously to him for outstanding performance by a male actor for his work on Less Than Kind. I listened to an interview with Chaikin from April 2010, just a couple months before he passed away, and he just seemed so gentle and modest, like sort of understated. He was asked about uh, acting technique and says, do I practice acting? No. <laughs> but uh, added, you know, I don't denigrate that at all, but that his method is instinctive and adaptable to whatever circumstances. And he just seemed very, you know, practical about his career choices. He talked about avoiding being typecast just by you know, maintaining the ability to say no. Um, and that doesn't always feel like an option for those trying to build an acting career. Um, so yeah, so he just came across to me as, you know, fairly grounded, like I said, modest. And then, you know, I looked at his acceptance speech um, for the Gemini he won in 2006, half of which is a gag, a letter from Kim Jong-il congratulating him on his win. Uh, and the other half of which um, acknowledges his, you know, his personal and professional relationships, of course, that got him to where he was, um, including a little shout out to his parents, which I thought was sweet. Uh, in July 2010, Chaikin died on his 61st birthday due to complications from a heart valve infection. His colleagues from Less Than Kind, in which Chaikin plays a driving instructor and father of the 15-year-old protagonist, spoke about the sudden unexpected death of Chaikin. Um, they had already started filming um, that season when he died and decided to write in the death of his character, but... Um, you know, one of his co-stars, Jesse Camacho, said, you know, regarding the loss of his, his physical presence on set, he said that he had just always injected adrenaline into every scene, and it seems like the cast was really feeling all the energy he brought to the show, pulling them along as they continued filming that season without him. He did so much work 
He was versatile. He was celebrated by critics and colleagues. And that is why Maury Chaikin is my pick this week for your favorite Canadian actor. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Okay, if you were to travel back in time and ask a young Dan uh, when he was growing up what he wanted to be, I would have had two answers for you. One would have been the starting left winger for the Montreal Canadiens, of course. And the other one would have been to be... Michael J. Fox, a uh, childhood hero of mine. Of course, like a lot of 80s uh, babies. I, well, I'm not really an 80s baby, but I'm more of a 70s babies. But a kid who grew up in the 80s staring at the television. One of my favorite characters of all time on any sitcom, especially a family sitcom, uh, would have been um, Alex P. Keaton of the Keaton family, of the Family Ties family. And uh, you ask yourself, what will we do, baby, without us? Not a lot. Sha-la-la-la. Um, I must have watched that show... I think I feel like I was, I watched every single episode of that show, but where we have the Netflix and the other streaming devices, we can't actually say we binged watched the thing. We saw every episode, but I'm pretty sure that on the weekday night, I believe it would have been Thursday or something when it was on uh, between 1982, 1989. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, I would have been standing in front of that um, adoring this performance and the show and the family dynamic and the comedic actor. It was Michael J. Fox. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Um, he's from Edmonton, Alberta, and uh, he started out like you know, like a lot of kids, and you know, working in theater in and around like in Edmonton and in in around the Canadian theater scene as like a young child actor. And uh, he scored this role as Alex P. Keaton um, on Family Ties, where originally the show was supposed to be about. Um, these hippie parents um, having to deal with these nerdy, almost uh, Republican conservative children. But, uh, but oddly enough, Matthew Broderick was offered the role of Alex P. Keaton and he turned it down. And uh, uh, Michael J. Fox ended up getting the role. And within like the first season, they knew the show was going to be about the kid. And the main star, of course, the main focus would always be uh, Alex P. Keaton, who is a staunch Republican and, uh, you know, uh, lover of Reagan and Bush, uh, dealing with these uh, hippie parents. And uh, he absolutely killed the role, became a star, um, won multiple Emmys for this role, and um, and uh, absolutely killed it for a number of years on the TV show, like I said, 82 to 89. Um, and then after that, he went to uh, go on to uh, the silver screen. Um, oddly enough, he replaced another great actor who was originally cast in the classic Back to the Future, which was um, done in 1985, of course. If you watch the movie, you know that year comes up a lot. It was originally... Um, cast as Eric Stoltz, and apparently they had done a, a couple of scenes. I'm not sure how far they were in the shooting, and they just realized Eric Stoltz was not meant uh, to do this <laughs> role. Uh, so they gave um, Michael J. Fox the role of the um, iconic character uh, Marty McFly, which he destroyed, which was a complete opposite, um, uh, well, not a complete opposite, but an opposite role of a, a Mr. Alex P. Keaton, where he was you know, a, you know, a bit of a rebel, a rock and roll star, you know, was rebelling against Against his parents and authority and you know just wanted to have fun and and be a big music star and have a truck and be cool and he was getting picked on at school by the the, the yeah school bully and, and um he ended up um uh you know 
of course, traveling back through time. Um, but originally they had, had cast Eric Stoltz, and then they had uh, replaced him. And uh, this was in the 80s when, of course, he was still doing Family Ties. So he had this insane work schedule where he would be working on the show and then he'd be working on the movie. I, I mean, I think over a year and a half, his, his days were like um, he'd be on the uh, the Family's Ties set in the daytime from like, you know, uh, nine to five or whatever, and they go over to the shoot studio and they and they shoot the uh, Back to the Future until like three in the morning. Um, it, it it must have been absolutely in crazy work schedule, and it paid off because he became an even bigger star after this blockbuster movie, um, which is now a classic and now a trilogy. Um, he came back twice to play Marty McFly in uh, Back to the Future Two and Back to the Future Three, I think it's called. Just kidding. Um, yeah, he had great chemistry with Christopher Lloyd who played Doc. And it's, um, well, after um, Back to the Future, the trilogies, and his last episode on Family Ties in uh, late 1989, he moved on to a bigger career in film. And he came out with a, a couple of movies. Uh, he did um, he did Teen Wolf, I think, later on that year in 1985 as well. Uh, he did his own first movie where he was sort of stepping away from that teen idol thing where he had a little risque movie called The Secret of My Success, which I went and saw the th in the theaters when I was a kid, and it was way too adult for me then. Bright Lights, Big City. Um, he did Doc Hollywood, of course. Sadly, he got some terrible news where he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1991, um, something that he pretty much kept secret um, from from the media. And, you know, he, he was basically told that he had roughly about 10 really good years of acting left. Um, and so he, he just, he just went for it. You know, he did, uh, he played the president in that, um, really bizarre, uh, alien attack, uh, movie, uh, Mars attacks. Um, he took the frighteners, which was, I think his last big movie before he returned to television. Um, the frighteners is a great little horror movie, uh, where he, you know, he can go into, he can kill him. He almost dies, and then he can communicate with ghosts, and it's it's a pretty cool little little uh, horror thriller ish movie. But then um, he comes roaring back into uh, television in the late nineties, ninety six, um, and he ends up starring in Spin City as the deputy mayor of New York, um, which was a huge success, and then eventually, uh, sadly, um, Parkinson's um, started to begin to, to really take his toll. And then he came out publicly with what he'd been going through. And uh, he semi-retired from acting. Um, and he's now um, with the uh, Michael J. Fox Foundation and working to raise money and funds and looking to research um, um, for Parkinson's disease research. Um, and that's his main focus now. He's also an author. He's written a number of books, and despite everything that he went through, he he wrote a memoir called Lucky Guy um, about how you know he he's just so positive about his life, and uh, he feels that he's actually had a really wonderful, despite this terrible disease, ending a, such a great career, uh, essentially in its prime. Um, I mean, he does do some acting. Um, every now and again, he'll, uh, he played himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, where he, oh God, I'm not even going to do it justice by describing that episode. Please see it. It's uh, hysterical. Every now and again, he, he, he does a couple cameos here and there in, in, uh, in films and in television shows and, and stuff like that, and like a one-off episodes and stuff. Um, and he's written a, a couple more books as well. 
he is prolific, um, and he's still um, fighting against Parkinson's disease and with the uh, uh, Michael J. Fox Foundation. And, you know, the guy is, you know, he's nothing was has been ever able to, to slow this guy down. Um, I, I think uh, he's one of the uh, better actors of his generation and just an all-around great human being. And I think you should vote for uh, Mr. Michael J. Fox um, just be just because of his tenacity, you know, his, um, you know, his uh, his drive and his folk. He's one of the best a vote for Michael J. Fox. And um, please see that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. You will thank me as I thank you. You know, I think I think Michael J. Fox is in a lot of people's hearts. He's a very mm. popular popular actor. Um, but I, I, you know, like I have with a lot of uh, these like mashups, like the opportunity to look into Chaykin's career a little bit and just like really understand the volume of work that he's done. He's worked on a lot, a lot of films and television shows. Sure has. Yeah. He's definitely like the epitome of, oh yeah, he's that guy that was in yeah. that thing. Yeah. I, I, absolutely adore and i think every episode is because i think any you went under now was it nero wolf was that, that, mm-hmm. was, that, nero that wolf. was tremendous and that was a great show and i am one of the biggest fans of goofy 45 minute mysteries i yeah. love them <laughs> and that was as goofy as you could get and the the character his like sidekick who only drank milk or whatever yeah archie like, <laughs> yeah archie yeah and, and yeah. they the way they played off of each other and like it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was the period piece of it, like, you know, just the way they, they talked and like I think it took to take place in the thirties. Yeah, thirties yeah, and forties, yeah. Thirties, forties, yeah. So it was it was really fun and and he absolutely killed it in that role. I really liked it a lot. Yeah, and like for him to have that opportunity to be the leading character mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, like the supporting character actor, I think that's great that that that, that is a part of his body of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he did it so extremely well too. And that's yeah. Cool. yeah, back when A and E wasn't all about uh, reality shows where your car gets towed if you don't answer pre-trivia <laughs> questions. You know, <laughs> that's true. Wow. Again, I may have said this before, but to quote Alec Baldwin's character from Thirty Rock, I remember when Bravo showed opera. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. Matt, you're you're often our, our our guy in the woods for some of these ones. Um, what's your thoughts on uh, not necessarily who's going to win, but on Maury Chaykin and, and Michael J. Fox? Uh, well, with regards to I, I, you know, I I was thinking that uh, one of the things that not to be meta about it, but what, one of the things I am more appreciative of, of uh, this podcast for and with getting to be a part of it is I, you know, I wouldn't I might have died without ever having thought of Maury Chaykin again. Um, hmm. And I now I don't have to do that. Now I, you know, through platforms like this, I can be like, oh, yeah, that was right. That show was freaking awesome and then i can go back and i can enjoy this and i can like expose for myself a whole other body of work i mm-hmm. just would have died without acknowledging again otherwise uh so thumbs up for that michael j fox is gonna kill this yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, unless there's like a maury chicken appreciation society out there we well yes, there should be I, I, i'd imagine eric stoltz will be voting for maury <laughs> <laughs> he became such a big star on that show that he basically ended up running the show. Like almost every episode was about him. 
He urkled family ties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, there was a couple Skippy Handelman episodes. Yeah. Uh, you Mallory, know, and, uh, Mallory and Nick hooking up. That was a big deal. Oh, for yeah. Yeah, Nick. <laughs> Nick's had I, his own, Nick had his own show, I think, for uh, they yeah. tried to spin him off. It didn't work. Yeah. All right, no, so let's, was, uh, let's segue to our second uh, pitch. It's uh, Battle of SCTV. Um, hmm. We talk hmm. about actors that are, are near and dear to people's hearts. Uh, well, here's two of them. Um, so it's uh, me as uh, representing the great Catherine O'Hara and uh, Mark representing the also great Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis uh, was born in Toronto, April 18th, 1953, and uh, got to start performing uh, in radio as a DJ and sketch comedy artist. Um, after a couple of years of that, he was then persuaded to join the SCTV crew by a friend of his named Dave Thomas. Um, I believe Moranis was the first member of SCTV who didn't come through the Second City stage program. Uh, in his time with SCTV, he was known for a lot of uh, impressions like Woody Allen and Merv Griffith, but he also was part of a very famous duo uh, with Dave Thomas known as Bob and Doug McKenzie. Cool, 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 cool. The popularity of these characters ended up leading to his uh, first major film role in a movie, Strange Brew. Uh, aside from Bob and Doug McKenzie, he was also known for a character named Jerry Todd, who, uh, having predated like MTV and Much Music, is, I believe, widely credited as one of the first famous VJs or uh, video jockeys ever. He then went on to have a rather successful career in film with movies like Ghostbusters 1 and 2, Spaceballs, uh, the musical Little Shop of Horrors, and probably his biggest role would have been uh, the lead as Wayne Zielinski in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Following that, he did uh, played Barney Rubble in The Flintstones and was in uh, a couple other films. But he slowly started to back away from the life of celebrity as um, his wife, unfortunately, passed. I believe it was 1991 from cancer. So uh, by 1997, he removed himself from the life of a big screen actor to focus on family stuff. He did still provide uh, some voice work for uh, some other um, projects like Brother Bear and uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys. Uh, he was also uh, ended up working on some comedy albums. Um, the Agoraphobic Cowboy was a, a comedy country album he did, for which he was uh, nominated for a Grammy. He's been kind of out of the spotlight, doing a few more comedy albums and doing a little bit more voice work, but he's actually slated to return, uh, I believe next year, in uh, a, a follow-up sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So that's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, uh, I think if you've ever seen... Moranis in anything. He just has this air about him where he's just like, there's a sharpness, but also like a sweet softness at the same time. It's a weird thing. Yeah, I think that's that's Rick Moranis. And I think if you check out any of his work, you'll understand why he's nominated for Canada's favorite actor. 
Hey guys, Keith here. Today I'm honored and pleased to be talking about Catherine O'Hara. I want to preface this right off the bat by saying everything I say is no knock at Rick Moranis, who I really like and who I've missed terribly over the past few decades. I am glad to see he seems to be coming back to some degree, and I hope we see more of him. So let's talk Catherine O'Hara. She was one of my original three nominees, and I am definitely going to keep this brief, because if the career of Catherine O'Hara hasn't already won over your vote, the words of a third-rate podcast host and producer is not going to do a damn thing for you. Just a quick overview of her career, some of the high points. We've got SCTV, Beetlejuice, Home Alone, the four big Christopher Guest films, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and uh, Schitt's Creek. And that's just the high points. I mean, that's the peaks. The valleys are all rather impressive as well. So what is it about Catherine O'Hara that makes her so great? I think she is one of the few out there today that is able to walk a very fine line between being absolutely hilarious yet remaining real. While some of her contemporaries, um, Gilda Radner, for example, might have uh, be better known as a comedian, um, a lot of Radner's stuff was, was rather broad, whereas I don't think uh, Catherine O'Hara has ever really stepped from the, the realism, which in a lot of ways makes it far more relatable and therefore funny. And, and while many people remember that first trio of uh, Saturday Night Live women, I would argue that Catherine O'Hara on SCTV and and since combined the best qualities of the three of them, uh, Gilda Radner, Lorraine Newman, and uh, Jane Curtin. Looking through her her filmography, um, especially the ones that that jumped out to me as ones I've seen multiple times, I was struck by, even in situations where these characters were so ridiculous, they were so... I I knew them. You know, I, I know... Delia Dietz. I know Cookie Fleck. Uh, I know a lot of Sheila Albertsons. And even Bam Bam Funkhauser, one of my favorite of her performances on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, perhaps being a little more broad than, than O'Hara usually is, that performance is still real. And, and, and oddly enough, I, uh, she reminded me of a couple of people I've run into. Um, if you haven't seen that performance, that's one I, I think you should, uh, should check out. But she has these strengths as an actor. Um, I think of the Mitch and Mickey in A Mighty Wind. I mean, that last song with, uh, with Eugene Levy as Mitch. Um, that, I mean, that'll just rip your friggin' heart out. And I don't, don't want to talk too much about Schitt's Creek because it actually came out after... Not come out, but it, it really hit its stride after the initial nomination period. But her performance on that is is just a tour de force. I mean, there are so few performances on television that could rival that. I'd also like to point out in in, in a huge up yours to Florence Henderson that uh, Kate McAllister is America's mom. Um, That performance in Home Alone is, uh, you know, you think Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, uh, Daniel Stern, but... That's the backbone of the story, and her performance as Kate McAllister is likely how a real mother would, a real parent would react under those circumstances. I remember reading a TV guide or a TV guide knockoff uh, years ago, in the 90s, that Catherine O'Hara was either, it was either the most underappreciated or underused actor in in, in the film industry. Um, I, I agree with that, but I think some of the beauty is the fact that 
instead of being huge for three or four years, she has continually been chipping away and just making these memorable roles in all these films that uh, she either steals her scenes or, in many cases, just does the job the way it's supposed to be, but adds a little extra flair. I think a lot of people could have been cast as the mother in Home Alone. But how perfect is she with uh, Macaulay Culkin? And even better, her, her scenes with John Candy are just pr pretty amazing. And, and from what I can gather, they may have been ad-libbed or, or, or somewhat improvised. I think the best testament to the talent of Catherine O'Hara is to watch uh, a movie or two that she's, she's been in and watch it with the commentary from the directors or her co-stars. Nothing but glowing praise for her every time, whether it's uh, an uber funny role or just a sort of slightly understated funny role. Um, and, and I'm really glad that her career has spanned so long. She certainly deserves the success she has now. And another great thing, too, is just how absolutely happy everyone was when she got the Emmy this past year for Schitt's Creek. Um, just a, a complete delight to finally see someone who absolutely deserves it um, finally get what's due to them. And, uh, and I certainly hope that she's, she continues on in the same vein she has um, in, uh, in making great choices, both what to do and how to do it. Uh, I absolutely think Catherine O'Hara deserves to be in our final round, if not the overall winner of this whole thing. So uh, get out and vote for Catherine O'Hara. Thank you very much. All right, guys, thoughts on these two? Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's a really, it's a tough one. I think it's a really tough one, but I, like, I'm, I'm personally, I'm with Catherine O'Hara all the way. Um, she's just, like, one of my faves of all time. Um, not to say that Rick Moranis doesn't deserve, you know, just as much as Canada's favorite actor, but. Yeah, I think it is going to be a really tough one, not just, like, for people to decide, but to guess who's actually going to take it. Because, mm -hmm. like, Moranis's career was a lot shorter, but it seems like he's a little bit, like, the, the things that he's done are, seem a little bigger. But then when you actually take the time to look at everything Catherine O'Hara has been involved in, mm -hmm. it's just staggering how talented and how much she's done and how good pretty much all of it is. She's so good. So, Matt, where are you sitting on this one? Uh, well... Uh, I'm going to agree with the panel, but I'll certainly be a little more tart about it. Uh, it would be uh, do the right thing, listeners. Catherine O'Hara clearly deserves this. Rick Moranis is fine, but I mean, he's a guy. He was in a few family movies. Like, come on. Mm. It's Catherine O'Hara. She's been in everything for decades. Yeah, it Rick kind of is Moranis like a no -brainer. Was in a few family movies. That's, it's not even do the right thing. I don't think either of them were in that film. Yeah. I think they're mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I always oh mix God. up Catherine O'Hara with Danny O'Hara. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, for me, this is this is going to be a tough one. It's going to come back to that SCTV loyalty for me. Like, I mean, I know everyone has a favorite Beatle, but well, except for Mark. But I like <laughs> them all. Uh, I. It really is for me because I, I grew up like worshiping that show. Like I yeah. just like mm -hmm. I did. Like, it was on. I watched it like that was it. Mm -hmm. Like and those are still all of my favorite comics. I, I will go back to that and I'll, I'll just feel really shitty not voting for the other one. I don't know. Like but Catherine O'Hara, like the longevity, it's it's it really is crazy. This well, is it. 
like, yeah. and I look, I look at like, you know, the recent like Shit's Creek and I binge watched that show in you know, 72 hours or whatever. Um, but, uh, but like her character is just so out there and mm-hmm. you should not be relatable. And yet sh- there is something so like lovable mm-hmm. and charming about her. I, I just, I, I couldn't, I just can't get enough. That's her you strength. Guys ever see her in Kirby yeah. Enthusiasm? Oh, Bam Bam. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. I love those actors who can, who like make those, those uh, totally out there characters feel so like real, like and remind you of people that they're kind of grounded in. Yeah. 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 But and like, even when she goes off the wall with stuff, there's still this like foundational humanity to her characters. Yeah. Yeah. And the testament to both of them, both Moranis and, and, and O'Hara, I have mentioned it's in O'Hara's is, uh, you know, how often they work with the same people. That is to me a testament of like, okay, I want to work with this person again. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean, I'm delighted to see Rick Moranis back. And like Mark said, he didn't stop. No, he did make a lot of comedy albums, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The, yep. the cowboy and, uh, the, he, you know what he won an Emmy. No, Grammy. No, he's, sorry. He's, yeah. <laughs> I mixed those up. <laughs> Nominated for a Grammy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so let's uh, let's jump into our third pitch. Um, so Melanie is uh, pitching for Will Arnett, and Matt is pitching for Kiefer Sutherland. Will Arnett graced Canada with his presence 50 years ago in Toronto. He studied acting in New York City and cites Steve Martin and Chevy Chase as his comedic inspirations. Arnett had a very slow start to his career in the early 2000s. He was cast in several pilots that were either not picked up or cancelled shortly after airing. He's admitted to struggling with alcoholism during that point in his career. He has said he wanted to give up on pilots altogether, but his agent persuaded him to audition for one more show. And that show was Arrested Development. Arrested Development didn't run for all that long, but Arnett found cult, if not mainstream, success playing Job in the series and earned a primetime Emmy nomination for that role. His turn as Devin Banks in 30 Rock, playing Alec Baldwin's nemesis, earned him more Emmy nominations. He's also appeared in a number of very funny movies, including the comedy Blades of Glory, alongside then-wife Amy Poehler. But despite some success, Arnett resumed a pattern of getting cast in pilots that went nowhere or appearing in short-lived TV shows. In 2016, he starred in a Netflix series called Flaked which he also co-created and co-wrote, and by all accounts, really poured his heart into. It was largely autobiographical. He played a struggling alcoholic in it, but unfortunately, the reviews were pretty dismal. It ran for two seasons, and in an interview, he revealed that he actually relapsed during filming and had to reach out to the same friend who helped him get sober in the early 2000s. One area where Arnett has had consistent success from the time he was a struggling, unknown actor to now is voice work. Described on the internet as deep, smooth, yet gravelly and baritone, Arnett has been the voice of a number of popular characters, notably that of Bojack Horseman in the critically acclaimed Netflix series of the same name. He's also been the voice of Batman, but you know, the the Lego movie version of Batman. Where else can you hear Mr. Arnett, you may ask? Well, Ratatouille, Ice Age, The Meltdown, Despicable Me, Horton, Here's a Who, to name a few, and to end on a rhyme. Oh, and you've also definitely heard him trying to sell you a GMC truck. Hello, 
Kiefer Sutherland is my favorite Canadian. Kiefer Sutherland was born December 21st, 1966, making me wonder if he got doubled up on gifts at Christmas time. Kiefer is actually a British-born Canadian with no less than five middle names that I won't include. Kiefer, uh, of course, is Canadian royalty, his parents, of course, being Donald Sutherland and Shirley Douglas. When his parents split, they were both uh, working and living in England, his mom took Kiefer and it was off to Toronto as a lad where he was to do his schooling, uh, becoming an upper Canadian, if you will. Kiefer Sutherland was one of the first touches of celebrity that I ever experienced personally that wasn't some random face on television. When I was a kid, I heard so many people talk about this movie called The Bay Boy which was filmed in uh, the hometown of myself and, of course, Mr. Morrison, and how Kiefer Sutherland was in our town. And I think by this point, stand by me, at least for me. Uh, Again, this is not a real timeline. This is a Matthew Ryan timeline. Uh, So at this point, uh, for me, I I think stand by me was probably out, you know, I was becoming cognizant of movies. I was born in 79. So uh, what am I like seven? I know I kind of know what's going on around me at this point, probably more so than I realize. Anyway, I digress. I was not the target demographic for the movie The Bay Boy, but I sure was for movies like Stand By Me and the hit that came next. So anyway, I knew that this guy was a star since I was a kid. One of my first uh, concepts of celebrity, I dare say, was Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, I I think Kiefer has sort of like two fan bases, really, because he was such an icon in the late 80s. But anyway, I will get to that. Uh, As I mentioned, Kiefer was in Stand By Me and something else that I uh, mentioned but didn't title. But uh, he played David in The Lost Boys, uh, which is what I, of course, think made him an absolute star. The Lost Boys came out in 1987 featured both Corys, Jason Patrick and Alex Winter. Uh, but in that classic poster, poster, excuse me, uh, you know, the one I'm talking about, Patrick's got the sunglasses, he got the red background, your eyes are drawn to the star, Kiefer in the center with that haircut. This man is the star of the show. And um, it's that time of year. Anybody who hasn't seen The Lost Boys, it's less than two hours. Uh, you could go on about the culture, the music, the aesthetic at length, but that would be to digress, not to do that, not to be a cowboy. Cowboys. Yes. Uh, clunky segue that I'll, uh, you know, I'm working on my segues. Young Guns and Young Guns 2 are two of my father's favorite movies, including the soundtrack. You remember, uh, Blaze of Glory from Young Guns 2. Oh, that was a hit. Bon Jovi. Anyway, saw them both more than once. Uh, Kiefer played Doc Skurlock, my favorite character of those movies. And I'm not just saying that because I'm presenting Kiefer Sutherland. He was my favorite part of those movies, but they're not uh, at all something that I would dwell on either. Quite frankly, I don't dig Westerns. When I was a kid, uh, a movie came out... um, I keep talking about being a kid uh, in relation to Kiefer Sutherland because this is just when the guy was a big star for me. Anyway, this movie called Flatliners came out. And when I saw the preview for this, it looked like the coolest shit I had ever seen. Going beyond death, uh, and all these near-death experiences and all this cool, spooky, crazy shit with hot, young talent. Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, 
pre-pretentious Julia Roberts, no less. Kevin Bacon and the best Baldwin, Billy Baldwin. Now, I'm not reading, you know, TMZ or anything in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, but Kiefer Sutherland is definitely, I think, part of this hot, young, troublemaking Hollywood crowd uh, of the day. I did see Flatliners in the cinema, if I recall correctly. I don't know how I get in, but I definitely have that memory of being in the theater watching Flatliners. Um, And it's pretty good. I mean, it's not like a lost classic or anything, a flawed gem of its time, let's say. It was also directed uh, by Joel Schumacher, who did uh, The Lost Boys, another one of my aesthetic favorites, Kiefer, you know, he can hold his own with all these, you know, it's not even a matter. It's not even a discussion of Ken Kiefer's other than hold his own with these actors. Can other people hold their own with Kiefer Sutherland? Like this guy, in my opinion, is, uh, putting on a tour he's not playing the same character, like over and over. You watch these movies, you see him do different things. There's certainly a progression. I really liked him as Kendrick in a few good men, a supporting role. He was a prick, but my goodness, he played that stuffy prick role so well. Uh, he kept afloat for me, just kind of like in my mind's eye, so to speak, in, uh, a move, the movie, a time to kill, which is a good nineties thriller. Uh, if you're into nineties thrillers, I am. Uh, and the vanishing though, neither, um, of these are my favorites. And in fact, in fact, don't even watch the vanishing. Do not watch the vanishing starring Kiefer Sutherland, ignore it and watch the movie it's based on. It's called, uh, Spurlus. I don't know what my pronunciation is. Uh, Mr. Morrison can probably correct it. Uh, I think it's just vanishing in French. It's better. Alex Proya's Dark City was my next favorite Kiefer movie. Uh, he played Dr. Daniel Schreber, not unlike The Lost Boys. This is another one of those movies where you could just go off on tangents of style uh, and aesthetic and just uh, so many thematic tangents from one piece of source material. Gotta play it safe here. Stick to the topic. Kiefer was quote unquote in a super cool movie, I think, in 2002 called Phone Booth starring Colin Farrell, written by B-movie maestro Larry Cohen, uh, who is a guy whose movies I love. Anyway, he's just in it as a voice. He's a menacing voice, but he originally wasn't the voice at all. I watched a Larry Cohen documentary recently, and they're talking about this movie doesn't work. And they're like, you know what? Let's, let's do the voice. They get Kiefer Sutherland to do the voice. And you get now all of a sudden you got this tight ass, perfect thriller in a bottle. Really recommend phone booth. Let me take a quick step back anyway, for most of the nineties, um, most of the nineties aside, what am I trying to say? Dark city is the, what I'm trying to think of. It wasn't exactly a mainstream hit. I, you know, I'm sure the three musketeers was a fun movie. I don't remember it super well. Uh, I just remember when I saw it that I really, really didn't like it. Uh, so I'm not, rushing out to see it again. I remember its aesthetic. I watched the trailer, uh, just recently and I was like, okay, I remember this. I remember that. You know, it's just, again, I actually, I, you know what I was going to say? I'm not the target demo. When I was thinking about how old I was when the three musketeers came out, I, I think they were pretty much trying to gun for me. Anyway, I just thought it was a little schmaltzy. Maybe Kiefer strays away. I mentioned my mind's eye earlier. I don't know if he just kind of uh, fades off from public presence a little more. The, the roles are a little more supporting. And uh, of course, you know, it happens. You can't have hit after hit after hit after hit after hit and, and continue to work at such a rate he does. The guy just doesn't stop working. He's constantly putting stuff out. My point is... In 2001, the second fan base comes in. So, I mean, obviously, the obvious, my entire presentation has been pre-24. This guy has a career unto itself with the 2001 mega hit, 24. It's got such the, you know, the real-time thing was the great premise. 
is was there a bigger hit of the early 2000s? Well, yeah, probably. You know, listen, I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm not going to. Anyway, it looks like he really wind, wound, winded down the movie career. Uh, he did this show called Designated Survivor. He voices video games. And quite frankly, I think if you look at uh, his acting resume, he's enjoying that TV money. Maybe waiting for the next big thing. I don't know what's going to come next, but he's a Sutherland. So you know it will be something. Keeper Sutherland is my favorite Canadian. All right, guys. Thoughts on that? We'll start with Dan. <sighs> wow. Um, okay, well, first of all, I have to admit that I am a huge Will Arnett fan. I've just, I have a little bit of a bias because I have been listening to his new podcast recently. And I loved BoJack Horseman. I think the first show I ever binged was definitely 24. And um, Kiefer Sutherland was just just like the ultimate action hero in that TV show. He's better than the action heroes in the movies. Like, I absolutely love that show. And Lost Boys, incredible. This is going to be another tight one, but I hope Will Arnett isn't mad at me, but I'm probably going to be going with Kiefer on this one. Yeah, I, um, I'm just myself much more familiar with Will Arnett's work, actually. Um, I haven't, I haven't like absorbed that much Kiefer Sutherland. So uh, for me, I would have to go Will Arnett, you know, like something like Bojack Horseman isn't gonna, isn't gonna like make or break this vote, I don't think. But I, I agree with Dan. I loved that show. I loved his action. Like I loved his voice acting in that show. Um, and it, you know, and it's when it's animated, there's such a big team involved and everything like that. I just, I just loved it. And I specifically loved his performance in it. But yeah, I don't know. I think it'll probably go to Kiefer, but I I'm, I'm think I'm voting for Will Arnett myself. Matt. Will Arnett is in great shit. Kiefer Sutherland makes shit great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well put. Well, Mark? Well put. Well, uh, I thoroughly enjoy Will Arnett uh, when I, you know, see him in things, but... I definitely fall into that category of the fan base that Matt was talking about in the first half of his pitch, mm. like stand by me, the lost boys, uh, young guns were all staples of my childhood. And mm-hmm. I, I've actually don't think I've ever sat through a full episode of 24, but it, <laughs> in my heart of hearts, Kiefer Sutherland is very deep in there. So I think he's going to crush Will Arnett personally. Have you sat Every through any episode of Arrested Development? Like... I've never really gotten into Arrested Development. No. I... So, what was that about Young Guns? <laughs> I... I have to listen to Blaze of Glory. Every time somebody mentions Young Guns, I got to listen to Blaze of Glory. <laughs> yes, we all, we all need to take a three and a half minute break. I uh, I, I think Kiefer Sutherland walked me through my first 30 years and Will Arnett is walking me through my second 30. So mm-hmm. for, It's funny because if, if you look at the IMDb list of these two guys, I've watched a higher percentage of the, this two than any other pairing we've had. Really? Mm. Oh God, yeah. Well, Kiefer is Kiefer's one of my favorites, um, and uh, I like him almost as much as I like his father. And I mean, Matt went through the filmography, and it's just like it really smacks you in the face, you know? Uh, yeah, of the shit he's done. So um, yeah, so to vote on these, they'll be available at our Facebook site, facebook.com/favecanpod, um, f-a-v-e-c-a-n-p-o-d, and uh, the voting for this one's going to be open until October thirtieth. So uh, get your votes in before you uh, get dressed up to go out trick-or-treating. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. so let's do, let's do a final wrap-up. Uh, final words on our three face-offs. 
Uh, first off, Maury Chaikin, Chris, uh, Maury Chaikin against Christine. No, Maury Chaikin. Maury Chaikin against Michael J. Fox. Who's going to win? Who should win? Uh, Matt. Teen Wolf Rules. Michael J. Fox. Mark, Maury Chaikin, uh, Michael J. Fox. Who's going to? Who will? I think no matter what happens, uh, if Michael J. Fox loses, Marty McFile just jump in his DeLorean and go back and fix it. So yeah. he's, he's got this sewn up, I think. Dan? I agree, Mr. Fox. Christine? <laughs> yeah, I think the panel's got it right. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, like I, like I said before, I was happy to have the opportunity to look at uh, Maury Jenkins' work, but I think, the, I think the right choice and I think the most likely choice here is going to be Michael J. Fox. I agree, but uh, as a consolation to the late uh, Maury Chaikin, I uh, I would like our listeners to start hitting up the streaming services to get that friggin' Nero Wolf show streaming. Um, yes, it was it was brilliant. Also, Gene Wilder's um, Murder in a Small Town was also done around the same time by A and E. These are great shows that we should should still be able to see. Perfect. Um, uh, Catherine O'Hara, Rick Moranis. We'll go backwards. Uh, Christine. Catherine O'Hara. That's all I have to say about it. Damn. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so torn. Don't be um, torn. Uh, I, right Kath, Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> I have to say yeah. Catherine O'Hara. Mark? I think, all in all, Canada wins for having both of these people uh, <laughs> in its ranks. But um, I really got to hold out hope for Mr. Moranis. <gasps> Matt? Hold on. Got to get my jaw off the floor. <laughs> You're usually the shit disturber. I thought I'd jump in there for a minute. He's still the shit disturber. Yeah. Uh, Catherine O'Hara was one of my three picks. She is in my top three. Um, and our final uh, one, Will Arnett, Keeper Sutherland. Uh, let's go with Dan first. He's on my screen. Uh, Kiefer, I it's kills me, but I, I gotta say, like he has... Uh, <laughs> was in a lot of my favorite movies growing up. I just have a, a deep affection mm. for that guy's work. Mark. I think Kiefer Sutherland is going to track down Will Arnett, suck the life out of him, and leave his <laughs> body on the side of the oh. <laughs> Christine. Yeah, like Damn. I said already, I, uh, I'll i probably be voting for Will Arnett, but I think it's going to be Kiefer Sutherland, and I think that's a, a totally appropriate choice. Okay, and Matt. Kiefer like he looks like such a badass. Like he's so, he looks so cool and dangerous and awesome. Yeah. And like he's just cool. look at him. He's um, good though. But it, he, he also has a sweet he's soft awesome. side. Keeper Sutherland's awesome. Yeah. What's that? He, he also has a sweet soft side in Doc Skurlock. That's uh, true. But he looks like he could light a cigarette by looking at it. You know what I mean? Like he's, wanted, he's just like, hey, you want to light? That's I don't need really to light. <laughs> Yeah, for me, these are two two greats. It's sad to lose one in the first round, but uh, the choice is clearly Mr. Sutherland for me. Um, there's just too much. I mean, we uh, we haven't mentioned Stand By Me. Um, you know, he's in so many of my favorite movies, Stand By Me, A Few Good Men, A Time to Kill. Mm. Uh, you know, those three alone. I'm not even that big of a fan of The Lost Boys, um, but it's certainly there, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I think this one's going to be Keeper. Um, but, uh, we'll have time. will tell. Okay. Well, <sighs> this is our second last episode of this, uh, this first round. Um, join us for our next episode. It'll be out in a few weeks. 
Um, and it's going to have our last face-off and uh, instructions how to get your favorite losers back into the game. And who are the the last actors to face off in the next episode? The last episode will feature uh, Dan with Eric Peterson mm. against Matt with Anna Paquin. And then the final one, I have saved this as the main event of the first round. Um, <laughs> I, am, I am terrified, but I'm very much looking forward to going head-to-head -head with my old buddy Matt when Eugene Levy goes against Donald Sutherland. I am super excited oh, for this geez. one. I, I don't take the Lord's name in vain very often, but Jesus Christ. I know like like I know we like to keep our pitches around about five minutes, but I hope that the two of you will just go for broke. Um I and I think we will, and, and I don't know how Matt feels about Donald Sutherland, but I, I think the world of Eugene Levy. Mm -hmm. Um but I think uh, uh, Keith, I, I when we when you told me about this whole thing, I was like, Well, it's Donald Sutherland, right? <laughs> But Mr. Levy has uh, has definitely jumped some hurdles since a year. You know, he's he's definitely more in the nose now, um, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I I mean, again, this is where it comes down to favor. Greatest, I would quit the podcast if it didn't go my way. <laughs> favorites, <laughs> favorites, such a we're gonna lose somebody big. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and whoever loses that one, will get one of my wild card votes, plain and simple. <laughs> you know, yeah. me too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, uh, also I'm looking forward to being done round one cause I want to revisit some of these guys too. Um, and yes, me too. Mm -hmm. um, I think round two sounds so exciting that we get to like watch something like Teen Wolf and then I'll come here and talk about <laughs> Teen Wolf. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I am just looking forward to seeing how all of these matchups work out as always um, and super looking forward to the, to the next episode um, and the end of round one awesome so for these ones you can vote till October 30th right on alright and we're at soundcloud.com slash your favorite Canadian and we're at uh, twitter at favecanpod and we're at uh, facebook uh, facebook.com slash favecanpod and you can always email us at favecanpod at gmail.com um, also check out if you're interested our just the pitches section over at the lion's den audio theater youtube page um and uh, yeah actually i'll add that i i really like that little condensed format of being able to just hear hear the pitches back to back i think that's nice i hope people will check them out and you know take the time to listen to the whole episode too absolutely i think that's it Thank all right again once again as always for joining us thank you everyone thank you wherever you are and in honor of michael j fox whenever in time you are uh. thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>